Welcome, and thank you for downloading Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Here at Movement, we are passionate about God's Word and helping each other move closer to God. Thank you for choosing to grow with us today. And now, here's our lead minister, Bobby Wallace. Um, Have you ever been a victim of a random act of compassion? Some of y'all don't know what to do with that, right? (laughs) Have you ever had somebody just do something that just really blew your mind? Just like they they saw your need and they went ahead and they met it? I want to tell you about a couple. Uh, One is a lady by the name of Doc Bennett. She's going on to be with Jesus now uh, a few years back. But many years ago, uh, she was at the first church that I served uh, part-time in youth ministry. Gosh, almost 25 years ago. I was four when I started. So, okay. um, but in, in college, on the weekends, I went to this church. I was fresh out of East Carolina University. Actually, I wasn't even fresh out. I was still at East Carolina University. I had done the whole college life, the stereotypical college life for the first year and a half or two. And I'd gotten serious about Jesus, though, at that point and had not even gone to uh, Bible College Seminary yet. And I decided that's what I wanted to do. I had plans to go in the fall. And this church was crazy enough, dumb enough, kind enough to hire me to be their youth minister. And Miss Dot was a, a very faithful member there. And uh, she was a, a lady who had her own little business and her and her husband worked hard and they weren't overly, overly wealthy people, at least to my knowledge, but they, you know, they try to live a good life. And um, I decided I was going to go into Bible college. And when I was at East Carolina, uh, my bills were really, really low. Back then it didn't cost an arm and a leg and a kidney to go to college. And so I had paid through and I didn't really have any student loan. My parents had helped me tremendously. It wasn't a lot of money. But then I was going to make this jump to Bible college, and it was astronomically expensive. And let's just say my last year or so, I didn't what people might say, um, go to class very much. And so my parents were like, okay, we're supporting you and going to the ministry, but this is on your dime. All right, this is on your dime. And so it was going to be a much bigger bill, and I was going to be responsible for it. And I was honestly, I was like, okay, God, I don't know how this is going to happen without me being in debt up to my eyeballs, but Lord, I'm going to trust you. Miss Dot got word of it, and she started giving me, and I'll just say over the course of the three years that I took to finish school, she gave me several thousand dollars to go towards my education. This woman did this kind of thing in small and big ways, but not the small ways were huge kingdom impacts. She would write letters to people. She ended up having a botched knee replacement and was never able to walk again for the last many years of her life. But she did not let that stop her. And so she started writing letters and cards to people. And she would find out people who were in prison. And she would start sending cards and letters to them. And I know of at least one man who became a Christian because of her letters. And he wrote a letter to be read at her funeral because of the impact that she made. And I was, a, I was a victim of one of her random acts of compassion. And I know more than anything, it wasn't random. 
And then Christmas a year ago, not this past Christmas, but the one before, uh, we got COVID right at Christmas. And for a, a preacher and his family, especially at a young church where, you know, my family is super involved doing a lot of different things, we got COVID right before our Christmas Eve service. And I was like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? We were still meeting at first in Maine at that time. And so just like here, we set up everything every week. And it was like, okay, so we got extra services. We got, you know, Christmas. Eve and we got Sunday and but everybody jumped in and pulled everything together and then after the service was over I got a text that I we watched online you know but we didn't feel that great we we stood there we watched and we got a text that said open your front door and we go to the front door and there's a line of a lot of you guys in cars a, a procession of people probably 15 20 cars just coming and honking a horn on Christmas Eve night and man, it just brought so much joy to my life and my family's life. And then over those next few weeks, people brought us food and they brought us little snacks and treats and all sorts of stuff. And I'm telling you, when you've experienced compassion, it can change life. When you experience that kind of mercy and that kind of grace, it can change your life. And the truth is, is that um, in mythology in ancient times, the gods were a lot of times you could say just evil. Am I right? If you, if you study history or you study mythology, the gods of uh, different countries that existed back then and, and people that worshipped these other gods, a lot of times they were evil. And at very least, you can say that they were vindictive. Am I right? You know, I mean, they were you were always trying to appease them because you never knew how they were going to get angry. They were going to come steal your wife, you know, hide your kids, hide your wife, all that kind of stuff, because the gods are going to come down and you just did not know what was going to happen. And so you're always on your P's and Q's. You didn't want to anger them. And, it, and it's a, a crazy thing. And there's so many insane stories from especially mythology. And unfortunately, here's the thing. I think a lot of us still view God that way a little bit. We probably wouldn't say it. Now, I mean, there are some people that will absolutely say it. They, they might even say, you're God myth, and he's, you know, like all those other gods. But I think sometimes we struggle with wondering if we don't have to just sort of walk the line and mind our P's and Q's because God is looking for an opportunity to smite you, to use a good old word. You know, we wonder if God is not really on our side and maybe he's just waiting for us to mess up, to screw up so he can punish us. And we've, we've attributed those characteristics that were given to those uh, little G gods and those mythology gods. And we sometimes, whether we realize it or not, might apply it to our God. And I want us to look a little bit at this passage of Scripture, starting off where we've, we're doing our series. We've we got our bumper video that's so awesome to hear by reading the Scripture. When God tells Moses who is sending him to Pharaoh, he says, basically, the unchanging one. I am. Or I am who I am. Or I am who I will be. I do not change. So God says, the, tell him the unchanging one, the one that does not change. And what he's saying is, I'm not like the fickle gods of all these other nations who you've got to make sure that you do just the right thing in just the right way if I'm going to not destroy you or, or send some rain for your crops or I'm just going to mess with you. That's not the way I am. And so then later when God tells Moses about his character, as in our theme verse, the first quality he mentions is compassionate and gracious. 
Exodus 34, verse 6 says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Now, in the Hebrew language and in the Hebrew culture, if you were to see a list, it was sort of an understood thing that the first thing or the first couple of things that were in the list would be the most important that you need to hang. I need to wake up and pay attention to what I'm saying. So when God starts to describe who he really is, when he says, what are you called or, or how are you, what are you called? He said, I am merciful. I am compassionate and gracious. So God wants us to know that over all the things that he is, as he tells us about himself, it's built on a, on a foundation of compassion and grace. Everything that God does to us and how he loves us and treats us is all filtered through this idea of mercy and compassion and grace. In the Hebrew, the phrase sounds and looks a little bit like rahum. We hanun. Those words compassionate and gracious. And they sound alike, especially in Hebrew. And it's sort of a word picture. Rahum or Rahum is compassionate. It comes from a root word from the Hebrew for a female womb, a mother's womb. And so when God says that I am Rahum or Rahum, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, forgive me. He says, when he says that, he's saying it's like, I love you like a mother loves her children. I love you like a mother loves her children. And I'm telling you, that is love. Because don't mess with mama's babies. Right? The, old, the phrase, you know, mama bear is not a joke. You know, it, it's a real thing. You know, you need to understand God feels that way about you. He loves you like a mother loves her infant. It's an overwhelming love that God has for you. Now, last week, I don't know if you remember, um, we were talking about how I stopped and I paused and I made everybody go back and read a scripture because everybody was amening at a certain point, but they weren't amening about the part that necessarily applied to them about how much God loves you. And I want you to hear right here, right now, this is about you. This is about me. God loves you like a good mother loves her children. He loves you in an undescribable, overwhelming way. And it's used in a passage where Yahweh is referred to a father, as a father as well. In Psalm 103, verse 13, it says this. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. As a father shows Rahum, so the Lord shows Rahum to those who fear him. He loves us like a parent loves their children. It's an overwhelming love of a parent. I, I remember still the first time that I held my kids. I was not a big baby holder growing up. The first time when I was, I don't know if I was like nine 10 maybe I, I had you know it was the 80s I had that crazy looking like sort of a bowl cut it looked like a helmet you know and I had these socks white socks pulled up to my knee that's probably style again all that crazy 80s stuff's come back and I had on those shorts you know they were like the the cotton exercise shorts and they had a little split at the bottom and had the, the blue stripes on the dark blue and, and that's what that's what I'm wearing I'm just painting a picture for you guys yeah 
I'm sitting there, my little cousin, uh, first baby, I probably had an opportunity to hold, and they lay her in my lap, and the thing poops on me. First time. I mean, literally, she's like, all right, here we go, ready, set, bam! I mean, just lays it on me, and it comes out of a diaper. I mean, it is disgusting. And so my baby-holding career was very short-lived. My baby-holding career was very short-lived. So much so that I never was a babysitter. Later on, when I was about to graduate high school, I was asked to babysit my little uh, other boy cousin. Later on, he's like five at the time, and uh, I ended up breaking his collarbone. Um, not intentionally, not intentionally. I was laying back on the floor on the couch, and I was like, he pushed, wanted me to push him off of my feet, and he was like going through the air a little bit, and I was like pushing him, and he come back, he's like, do it again. I was like, no, you're going to get hurt, no, you're going to get hurt. He comes back, do it again, so I did it a little bit again. Comes back, I'm, do it again, do it again. And so I'm pushing him on my feet, he's like, woo, flying through the air in the living room. I'm like, you're going to get hurt, stop. He said, come on, do it. You know how kids do. And so I did it one more time, and I'm telling you, he broke a world record. And I mean, he goes flying and lands on the carpet. Bam! I mean, and I mean, he broke his collarbone. Never had to babysit again. One and done. Hey, okay. But anyway, so my baby holding career, babysitting career was not much. But I'm telling you this when my children were born, everything changed. You could not keep me back from holding those babies. And I was not experienced, but I was like, hey, give them to me right here. And I was ready to hold them. And I'm telling you, you want to talk about fighting if somebody's going to try to keep me from my child? I was going to bust through a wall if I had to. We love our children and we have this overwhelming love. They had done nothing. I didn't know them. They looked weird. They were dirty. People talk about, oh, childbirth is beautiful. The outcome's beautiful, but the, the thing ain't. It is. I'm just real. I'm real. I, I look beautiful. Nope. <laughs> but man, I'm telling you, I was so ready to hold those kids. I was so ready to hold those kids because I loved them. Even though they had done nothing good or bad, they were mine. But for some of you, at least maybe not in your parents, you being the child relationship, this doesn't resonate with you. Maybe you've had kids, maybe you haven't, you know, I don't know about that. But when it comes to how your father and mother acted and treated you, some of you, you don't resonate with this. You're like, if that's how God feels about me, the way my mom or my dad felt about me, then I'm, I'm good. I don't need that kind of negativity in my life. I've got enough. And I just want to say... I'm sorry. I'm sorry. If you had that kind of pain, and I know a lot of people who do, who have gone through and they've healed and they've grown, but man, they are still wounded right here because their mom or their dad did not treat them the way that a mom or dad should. Some of us, this idea that God feels about you like your parents. Some of us, it gets excited, but others, it just, it hurts us and it hurts us and it wounds us because we're like, I don't know if I want more of that. But I want you to know that the way that I felt about my kids is the way God feels about you times a billion. 
the way that I describe you. God will do and did do anything and everything to get to you. He kicks down every wall. He puts a, a light in every shadowy place. He sent his son to die for you. That's the way our father feels about you. He is crazy about you. Rahum or compassion is a feeling word. And in contrast, the word that's translated gracious or hanun is an action word. It means to show grace or to show favor. You can almost think of it as applied compassion. He has the feeling of compassion, but he doesn't just stop there. It's the idea is often used in terms of helping someone in their time of need. That's the way God feels about you. He adores you. He loves you. He has this, this overwhelming compassion for you, and it causes him to act. There's an example in Scripture in Nehemiah when God's people are repenting, and they're admitting that even though they had rebelled continually and God punished them, He didn't leave them completely or allow them to be destroyed. Nehemiah chapter 9 verse 31 says this, Nevertheless, in your great mercies, you did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. Guess what two Hebrew words that is? Rahum and Hanun. Yahweh feels and he acts. And here's the reason I point this out. Because many times we human beings, we pause at the compassion. We're all about bumper stickers, right? We'll bumper stick you to sticker you to death. You know, we'll we'll wear t-shirts, you know. Oh, I'll buy a t-shirt about me caring about somebody. But we don't always open up the wallet and start showing mercy and compassion, do we? We don't always stop and get off of our donkey and get down and crawl down in the ditch with a person who's been beaten and left for dead. We don't always stop what we're doing and focus on pouring out mercy to people. We thought we'd think about them and, oh man, I'll, I'll send in good vibes. That does nothing. You can pray for people. That does something. But people talking about sending good vibes, I'm sorry if that offends you, but it does no good. You can pray, but go act if you can. If you have the way to act, you can go. But we stop, but God does not. Did y'all hear that? Here, and here, here's why I'm saying this. You may say, you're just the meanie pants. <laughs> here's why I'm saying this. Because what have we said for the past couple weeks if you've been here? If you're not, go back and watch it. We've said that oftentimes we view God really like who? Ourselves. And deep down, we might want to say, oh, I'm a compassionate person because I think good things about people and I have pity on people. But if we don't act, then sometimes it goes into our brain and translates into saying, God, he might care about me, but he doesn't act. And God cares and he acts. He is not one to just do the first without doing the second. He's not all taught. He acts when his children need him. And here's the thing. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, you may think that this idea of God being compassionate and gracious, you might be like, mm, I don't know. It doesn't always add up. 
And, and it's a problem. It's difficult sometimes as you read some of these stories in the Old Testament about how God dealt with some of the nations and how he dealt even with his own people when they were in rebellion and sin. And in our world, in our 2022 brains, you know, that might not seem like compassion and grace at all. And you might be wondering how. And then you think about Jesus, right? You think about Jesus and you're like, well, Jesus, the way he responded to people oftentimes was very different than the way Yahweh in the Old Testament responded. So it might be a little bit of a, a, a fight inside of you when you think about God being truly compassionate and gracious. But to help answer this really quickly, I want to look at the account of Jonah. I don't know if you remember uh, this story. You know, he was the super excited missionary. He was like, sign me up. I'm ready to go. You know, I love mission trips. Yeah. No, that's not what happened in case you don't know the story. So God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh and preach about their coming destruction. You know, there again, what about Mr. Compassion and Grace God? He says, go and I'm going to destroy this nation. But let me explain a little something to you. Many years ago, archaeologists were digging around and they found themselves in the Ninevite library, one of the Ninevite libraries, and they found many of their own writings recording all the different things that they and their kings and their people and their armies had done. And just to give you an idea, King Shalmaneser II, when he destroyed a city, he left a pyramid of human heads piled up outside the city gate. A pyramid of human heads. And he also, in that same town, that same city they destroyed, he burned the women and the children alive. There's many more, and I'm not going to gross you out and get all that stuff in your head. But there are many more disturbing and disgusting things that many of their kings did. These were a wicked people. And I want to pause really quick and remind you of something. God created us all, and we all had the opportunity and knew God at one time. If you go far enough back in our history, and people over time choose to reject God. And so these same people, their ancestors at least, had known God, but had chosen to reject Him and got to the point where they piled up a pyramid of human heads outside of a city they conquered and did horrible things to women and children. These were a wicked people. And, and rest assured, these people were more, more than just a little meanie pantsish. You know, they were wicked, horrible people. And so Jonah, naturally, he doesn't want to go to Nineveh and preach. So he jumps on a ship, heading the opposite direction. And then what happens next? Well, it, it's a whale of a tail. Um, I had, I, last week, I had so many pre corny preacher jokes, so I got to throw one more in there. Um, but after some convincing in this fish's belly... And truthfully, it's described as a fish, not necessarily a whale. He goes and he preaches a simple message, and it's reported in Jonah chapter 3, verse 4. It says, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Everybody repents. And I want to tell you, as a preacher, it kind of ticks me off. I bust my butt every week trying to come up with something creative so y'all don't fall asleep and talk about how boring I am and all that sort of stuff. And I try to think about ways and new fresh ways to get people to hear God's word and be called to life change. And this dude says, hey, y'all, 40 days, get ready to get smacked down. And everybody's like, ah! and they come to Jesus, so to speak, right? I'm like, come on, come on. You know, 
y'all don't understand my feeling, my pain here, but I am hurt by it deeply. It's like, y'all sit there and look at me. In 40 days, y'all get ready to get smacked at me. Let's see what happens. No, I'm kidding. But everybody repents. Everybody repents. And like we talked about in, in week one, it says that God nahamed. He relented. He, he changed his mind. He had said, I'm going to destroy these Ninevites. But because they all repent, everyone, it says, from the greatest to the least, he changes his mind and he relents. He changes his mind about the destruction of Nineveh because they repent. And Jonah is thrilled. If you know this story, and if you don't, I'll tell you, he is not happy. He's not happy. Here's what's recorded in Jonah chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. It says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. That's a hard word to say. For I knew that you are gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O oh Lord, please take my life away from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. This guy, this sucker, quoted Exodus 34, our theme passage, to God and said, that's why it wasn't that I was so scared of these wicked people. Yeah, they're horrible. But I knew that you were such a good God that if they repented, that you would change your mind and not destroy them. And here's Bobby paraphrase. And I mean, that was too, but you know what I'm saying? He's saying, I would rather die than go to heaven with those people. You know, I mean, that's ultimately kind of what he's saying, right? I don't think I took too much of a liberty there. He said, I would rather die. I, I just want to be dead. And since these people aren't going to be crushed under boulders, since their heads aren't going to be piled up in a pyramid, I don't like these people. And I knew you were so good, God, that you were going to forgive them. They don't deserve it. You know, we love the compassion and the grace of God when it's applied to us and our kids and our families and our friends but what about our enemies I'm going to let that simmer a little bit we love the compassion and the grace of God when it comes to us and our families and our kids and our friends and all that sort of stuff but what about our enemies how do we feel about the compassion and grace of God when it happens to people we know are wicked and deserve to be crushed. The people who lie about you, who stab you in the back, who cheat on you, and just simply the people who are mean and wicked and hateful. That's the funny thing about God is that He's got a way of blessing everybody. Yeah, there are times that people pay for their sins and their crimes here on this earth, but there's also a lot of good things that happen to some really bad people. You know, it's called out in the Psalms, it's lamented, you know, why do the wicked prosper? We've all felt that, we've all wondered that. Why do the, you know, the mean rich people sometimes still get richer? Not just the good ones. 
You know, why do bad people often seem like things go well for them? God has a way of blessing everyone, not just the good people, but many times the wicked, the cruel, and the just plain selfish. It is common to want mercy for ourselves and justice for everybody else. You hear that? It's common for us to want mercy for ourselves and justice for everybody else. They get what they deserve. But me, no, no. I'm guilty too. But Yahweh doesn't work that way. God shows mercy to all who seek it. And even times there's things that we get mercy and grace on that we don't seek. Have you been hurt before? I've been hurt before. All of us have been hurt. Some of you have stories that can turn my hair white. Oh, whoops, too late. Some of you have stories that just are unbelievable about ways that you've been hurt, the way that people who you cared about the most mistreated you the worst. And I've got stories that are, are similar on that, maybe not as bad as yours, I don't know, but I'm saying this. There was a girl in sixth grade who sat behind me in class and she literally just sitting there while we were working quietly one day, stabbed me in the back with a pencil. I prayed for the Lord to smite her, <laughs> striketh down her. I mean, I had to throw in every TH I could because I was like, maybe the Lord will listen to that. I mean, I'm sitting there, I'm just working. I'm, I'm working, right? Doing my schoolwork, you know? And she like literally just, Stabs me in the back. I had no problem with her. You know, she wasn't a crib. I wasn't a blood. I mean, there was nothing. There was no issue. She stabbed me in the back with a pencil. And I'm telling you, I wanted to smack her. You know, I wanted God to strike her down. I don't know why she did it. But I've been hurt as an adult, too. And it went a lot deeper than a pencil point. People have lied about me. People have hurt my family. And I'm telling you, that's the ones that make me want to do some bodily harm to people. Just being real. People have hurt my family. There have been people that have hurt you as my church family. And I'm telling you, that really makes me angry too. I'm not trying to be all pious and extra holy. People have tried to do harm to what God's doing in us and through us. And I'm just not going to lie. It made me very angry at times. And then, don't get me started on the worst of society. Slow drivers. <laughs> I mean, there's forgiveness for some people, but not those people. <laughs> Go out of here. Turn left onto Hot Road. Merge onto 87, heading into Raleigh. There is a half of a mile acceleration lane. And you got people that you get behind that are trying to merge onto 87 doing 45 miles an hour. Lord, strike them. I mean, I'm sorry. That's, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Y'all are getting nervous. People start leaving. Anyway, I don't sincerely mean it, although I've said it many times. Um, <laughs> but here's the thing. Here's the thing. We've all been hurt. We've all been hurt. And in my pain, I pray for justice. 
I pray for justice to be served. And sometimes it looks like it did get served, but many times it looked more like mercy was applied to the people that I wanted to have justice. Y'all see where I'm going with this? We know what it feels like. We know the anger that boils up even more inside. The pain hurts, but then the injustice that we think of it all hurts even more. And because that's who Yahweh is, He's compassionate and gracious. They didn't deserve mercy or grace, but He gave it to them. Just like me. Just like you. I think most of you knew where I was going with that, right? Because we sometimes feel like, I deserve mercy. Because, God, you know my heart. You know my heart. You know I really care. Yeah, I say some really nasty things behind those 45 drivers. You know, people stab you in the back literally with a pencil. People lie about you, hurt your kids. People who did unspeakable things to you. Yeah, I, 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 you know my heart, though. I'm not like them. But we don't deserve mercy. I don't deserve mercy. You don't deserve mercy. None of us deserve mercy, but God will give it to us freely if we seek it. He will pour it out like a waterfall gushing over and over and over us. And Yahweh wanted to show mercy to all of us, this whole world, so badly that He sent His Son to die for us. He sent His Son to die for us. And mercy isn't just because He's laid back and easygoing. Jesus Himself, He got angry at times. God exercises judgment. And, and we're going to talk about that a little bit in this series. We're not just going to skip over it and act like it's not true. But I want you to think about this when you're thinking about Jesus, especially when you ask the question, uh, what would Jesus do? You need to leave room and consider the option of flipping tables and braiding whips. <laughs> Jesus did get upset with people who were against what he was trying to accomplish. He got angry righteously at times, but he's merciful because it's in his character. See, Jesus illustrates this in a story he told in the Gospels. A man had two sons. This man had two sons and one was a wild son who was a, a wasteful partier and the other one was, you could say he was a self-righteous snob. And when the wild son asked for his inheritance early, he's saying to the father, I wish you were dead already so I could have all of your money. And so he says, Dad, I like my inheritance early and I want to go out and, and do my thing. And can you believe it? The father actually says, yeah, and he gives him his portion. He gives him his portion, you know, and he goes on his way. And really quickly, that, that partying son, he wastes it and he finds himself in a mess. And finally... He has a change of heart one day as he's sitting there literally in the pigsty, which was like the ultimate low of low for a good Jewish boy. And he says, I'm just going to try to go home and I'm going to beg my father to be a servant in his house. I'm not even trying to be a son. I just want to be a servant because his servants are treated better than what I'm living right now. And in Luke chapter 15, verse 20, we see what happens next. It says, and he arose and came to his father. But while he was still... A long way off, his father saw him. And he felt compassion. And he ran and he embraced him and he kissed him. You see, his father was doing what? He was looking for his son to come home. He was looking and waiting and watching and wondering, when's he going to come home? And as soon as he saw him, he didn't say, I'm going to teach this little punk a lesson. 
You know how hard I worked for all that money that he wasted? It took me years and he wasted it all in maybe a few weeks. He wasted it just a, a moment, a matter of time. He's going to have to come and I'm, you know, I want to forgive him, but I'm going to let him, I'm going to let him suffer a little bit. And we see that many times, that's what my forgiveness, what your forgiveness might look like. But the father, he sees him, he looks, he says, he's looking off in the distance, he sees him, he's watching the horizon, and the old man runs. And I want you to know, I don't think it goes over anybody's head here, but the father is our father. And he is looking and he is running. He is running to you because he is ready for you to be home. He was just waiting for the turn. He was just waiting for the turn. He was waiting for the first step. And he's going to take a million. That's what Jesus was. Jesus was a million steps in your direction, in my direction. And he runs to him. And man, I tell you, it's a, he throws a party. He's celebrating. It's no second class servant for him. It's no, you know, you're my son, but you're not, you're not anything. You are my son. Again, you are fully restored. And everything you have is mine. And I'm going to throw a party. It says he embraced him and he kissed him. He showed compassion and he put some action to that compassion, didn't he? The other brother, when he hears the, the partying going on and he hears of his father's forgiveness, he's furious and he doesn't want to enter the party. And his father lovingly corrects him and shows him mercy. And what does he do? Come on in, son. Come on in. You know, for years I thought that this story was about the first son. And then I spent some time and became very enlightened and do a lot of scripture and I was like oh it's about the second son really more than it's about the first son but no really the story has always been about the father I heard a scholar say and I love his take on it he said really you could probably call it the prodigal father because prodigal means wasteful and God willingly chose to waste his love and mercy and grace on people like you and me who don't deserve it he was not wasteful in a wicked way. He was wasteful in a way that we don't deserve. It's so good. He loves us and he throws a party. And so he invites that second son in. And what we have to understand is that your father, Yahweh, loves you so much that he comes running when you call. He's waiting for you to come home. He's watching while you're in the distance. He's looking on the horizon. And yet some of us stay away because we think we don't deserve his love. And then others stay away because think we deserve more. Either way, we stay away. And the truth is, is that none of us deserve the mercy of God, but He gives it freely to all who seek it. To every single one of us, whether we deserve it or not, because the truth is we don't deserve it. And before we leave, can I, can I draw your mind to another application for this truth? John Mark Homer writes, that in the earliest rabbinic writings on Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7 are our main theme passage. It says they talk about how Israel was supposed to imitate God. And that's how the world would know what Yahweh was like by watching his people act like his character traits. By looking at his people. So if God is compassionate, we should be. If God is merciful, we should be too. That's what we're saying. As Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, verse 27, it says, But I say to you, hear, who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, 
Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. And then skip down to verse 35. It says, but love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. So Jesus says, be compassionate, be merciful, just like the Father is. I'm coming to show you the way. Be like me as I'm like the Father. And the word there that's translated sons can carry the meaning of heirs. Meaning as in we carry on the family name when we choose to act with grace and mercy towards other people. And then look at verse 36 again one more time with me. He says, be merciful even as your father is merciful. So when somebody wrongs you, he's literal when he says, still give to them. When somebody mistreats you, still love them. When somebody, and it's hard. I'm not trying to say it's not hard. But if we want the world to be changed, if we want people to be saved and experience the grace that we got that we don't deserve, then we've got to start acting different. We can't keep doing the same thing and expect different results, can we? It's time to start doing what God has called us to do and be merciful and gracious and compassionate to people who don't even deserve it. This world needs mercy. Just to give you a little small example, a, a few months ago, I was um, on the Nightdale Facebook community group, and I'll tell you, that's comedy gold a lot of times. Um, it will also depress you um, severely. And there was a woman who posted about finding a dog when she was in a hurry, you know, on the way to work or something like that. But she literally stopped what she was doing, got out of her car, got the dog to come to her, but she didn't have time to look around and wait around and figure out if the dog had its owner nearby. She took the dog to an animal shelter, and then she took pictures and put on Facebook in this group saying, please, if this is your dog, this is where your dog is, they're safe. I didn't want them running in the road. They were in the road before, blah, blah, blah. It goes into all this time and detail, and she was in a big hurry. She got applauded and encouraged and liked. You would have thought she was a witch. I thought they were gonna burn her alive at the stake. I mean, everybody, almost everybody dogpiled on, sorry for the pun, didn't mean that. But everybody dogpiled on her and just, I mean, attacked her relentlessly. I'm like, because they said, well, who knows what's gonna happen if she does. Would it have been better for the dog to get hit by a car? Okay, that might sound silly to you, but I have seen that one time, two times, a thousand times, especially over this last two years. We have, as a nation, in all of our having to be quarantined and being inside and not being around people, we sit there and just... I mean, we have become so much full of hate, or at least it comes out more. And people tear each other to shreds. Man, it breaks my heart. The world needs mercy, church. And they ain't going to show it. We need to show it. We need to show mercy more than ever before. We need to show it in ways that people don't expect it because it's in short supply. And so here's a few questions to help you find out how you can show mercy. I'm almost done. Ask this first. Who are your enemies? You've got some. They may, not even, they may not even know they're your enemies, but they're your enemies. And then ask this question. What would it look like to show mercy to them? Ask God. God, what would it look like for me to show mercy to them? Not key their car, slash their tires. 
You know, not, nothing like that. Let your dog poop in their yard. Nothing like that. That's not what it is. What would it look like to show mercy to them? What would it look like to even love them? What would it look like to love them? And then I'm going to get really radical. Forgive them. Forgive them. But you're thinking, just like I think, they don't deserve it. You didn't either. But God forgave you. God forgave me. Ask who are the people that I have daily opportunities to show mercy to. Look around at your friends, your coworkers, your spouse, your children, your parents. Who do I have opportunities daily to show mercy to? Because mercy takes practice. It doesn't just come naturally a lot of times to us. And we need to start showing it with the people who annoy us the most. And that's the people that are around us the most. We need to start showing them mercy. And remember that when you're around the people, everybody listen to this. Everybody listen to this. Don't tune this out. Because it's easy to not want to hear this. It's easy to just say, I like the part about God showing me mercy. Got that today. That's good. But listen to this. The people that you're around that annoy you the most are a blessing from God for you to be able to have an opportunity to act like God. They're a blessing. That's why in the South we say, bless your heart sometimes. But they're a blessing and an opportunity to be able to show God who God looks like or what God looks like. And so remember, every time you see them, it's an opportunity to be like Yahweh and show mercy. So do you believe that God is your father? Do you believe that he is a loving father who's perfect in every way and deeply desires to be with you? Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Your father loves you in ways that you cannot imagine and you don't deserve and I don't deserve. And you can approach him with confidence through Jesus. He'll come one. He's getting the party ready, folks. The party's ready. Won't you come home? Won't you come in? I don't know if you've been the brother who goes off and wastes everything, or if you've been the brother or sister who stands there. It's like, huh, he don't deserve that. But regardless, Parties for both of us. Parties for all of us. Today, if if you want to experience that grace and compassion, all you simply do is say, I, I can't do it anymore, God. And you come to him on his terms. The Bible's really clear. He says, if you believe who he is and what he says, then just walk away from your life and sin. Repent. Confess him as Lord and King. You are God. You are the good one. Meet him in baptism. He washes away your sin. He gives you the Holy Spirit. And you're his. You're clean. You're free. Inheritance is yours. You've got it. You are free and you are a child of the one true king. But don't stand outside the party because you think you don't deserve it. You think you maybe deserve a little something extra. Come to the party today. listening to Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Want to learn more about us? You can do that by visiting our website at movementchristianchurch.com or on our app available on iOS and Android devices under Movement NC.